Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very festive us edition of the Garden State of Hockey podcast. I'm joined today during the great holiday of Festivus. That's when we're recording this episode. Joined as usual by my co-host, John Fisher. How you doing, John? Well, Dan, I worked out yesterday, so I'm not really in the mood for feats of strength. And uh, I was a little late in buying uh, my aluminum pole this year, mm-hmm. but I've got plenty of grievances to air. Do you have any grievances to air on this fine holiday for the rest of us? Oh, I have some grievances to air, certainly. And we actually uh, put this task out to you as well. We got some responses in the comment section that we'll dip into during this episode. We got some recordings from the fans. We actually have a uh, live guest joining us as well to air some grievances with the team as well. A lot of the same complaints floating around, but a lot of legitimate complaints uh, to that end as well. But let's first start the episode by... um, I mean, we can even start the airing of the grievances by describing these last games that we have yet to cover because I feel that they are emblematic of a lot of the grievances that are facing the New Jersey Devils and that are facing the New Jersey Devils fans right now. Oh, baby. Let's see. Let me see if I recall correctly. We recorded before the third and final game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Mm -hmm. The one team the Devils have beaten over the last three weeks outside of the Tampa Bay Lightning that's... Uh, that's your three and 14 at the time or three and 13. I look, the games start running together. Okay. Yeah. It's been a lot of L's <laughs> and what the devils proceeded to do was utterly embarrass themselves in the city of brotherly, brotherly love. Did you want another shorthanded goal, Dan? You got oh. another shorthanded goal. I didn't Did just want, want one. I demanded it, John. 
Did you want? Did you want players playing sick, not with COVID, just plain old sick and playing regardless? And surprise, surprise, they didn't play well. Mackenzie Blackwood made that happen, and Lindy Ruff allowed it. Did you want to see breakdowns? Did you want to see a Cam Atkinson hat trick? Did you want to see the Devils just do everything possible to make the team that they absolutely beaten like a drum in their previous two meetings look like superstars? Because the 6-1 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers on December 14th, year of our Lord, 2021, that was the thing that happened that night. I hated every second of it. Okay, to be fair, to to shield myself, I stopped watching after a certain point, so I didn't see Cam Atkinson's hat trick. Well, he got a hat trick, Dan, and it was awful. <laughs> no, I saw that he got one. I just didn't see the process because I couldn't bear to watch. It was awful. That's all you need to know. It's, it's, it's awful. Everything has been bad. I want to get a count over these last couple of games that we missed of the power play goals for versus the shorthanded goals for. Is it plus one for the power play? Something no. like that? It's no, even? No, it's not. No. Okay, you need to give me a t- date range, Dan. This is very important to the Okay, question. okay, okay. Date range from the date of last recording the podcast because we've seen several shorthanded goals and weirdly several sh- power play goals happen this week. This is true. The, Devil, the Devils did indeed score some power play goals. So we cannot say they have not scored a power play goal. Yeah, that the problem is, is the they one... also give up goals. Yes, and, and also just because they scored the goals doesn't mean it was consistently attacking or consistently on offense. You know, the main beef that people like myself have with this power play, not that they don't score, that the offense is just that lacking. Well, Dan, I am unfortunately happy to tell you. Why did I say unfortunately happy? I'm not happy <laughs> about this at all. This is a grievance. There's yep, no happiness yep. involved. All right, since the 14th of December to, well, obviously today, because the NHL started their holiday break early, so technically as of Tuesday night, the New Jersey Devils had the, tied the Chicago Blackhawks for the, four, for the second most power play opportunities in their four games with 14, Dan. Mm-hmm. They have scored two power play goals. They have allowed two shorthanded goals. Oh, my God. Even, Dan. <sighs> even you know what like the 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 point of a power play and this is going to be a common grievance i feel but the point of a power play is if you enter that power play and the game is tied then you put yourself in an advantageous position Mm -hmm. to uh to to you know gain some momentum in the game instead what happens is the devils often go into their power play tied and they emerge in their power play trailing by a goal what how? How does this keep happening? Grievance number one for me today is that this power play needs to be retroactively shot into the sun three years ago. I cannot deal with this anymore. It is such a glaring disadvantage and stays a disadvantage, and they played against Philly. They had a shorthanded goal scored against them in the Pittsburgh game with Teddy Bluger going on a free breakaway. Oh, the yeah. Devils are really good at scoring late goals in games that make the scoreline look very meaningful when the way the game was played was not at all meaningful. No, and, and the sad thing is, is that that Sunday game you mentioned, Dan, was their best performance. Mm-hmm. In I would say the since their last win, which was December 8th, that doesn't sound like a long time ago, everybody, but let me count it out for you. That's seven games ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is a league where that's not a good thing. It's not, a, it's even worse when it's, you know, three out of your last 17 games. Do you um, remember when Jack Hughes was uh, getting ready? He signed the contract. He's about to mm-hmm. hit the ice. The Devils are playing San Jose. They haven't been doing that well, but they've been doing okay. And they won a game the, moment, night, the game before. Yeah, the second and since period that of that moment, game. 
They've the been second disastrous. Period of that game. Disastrous. The second period of that game was pretty Awful. much everything fell apart. It was like a repeat of the Nashville game on Black Friday. Uh, you know, and coalesced into one period. But the problem is that while the Devils rebounded after the Nashville game, everything just got worse <laughs> afterwards. But never the mind. Let's yeah. talk about three more games before we get into some more beefs. Oh, God. Legitimate gripes about this team. I'm happy to say, Dan, against Las Vegas, Peter mm-hmm. DeBoer's uh, team, the Devils did not give up a shorthanded goal. Yes. Instead, after scoring first, scoring first, Dan, on a rare rebound goal, Oh, scoring first has meant nothing to the Devils, by the way, this year. But I'm I'm bringing up the rebound thing because literally the day of Corey Schneider, uh, who tracks micro stats, zone entries, all that stuff, noted that the Devils were one of the least uh, frequent teams in the league in terms of generating rebounds, shooting opportunities, which which sounds like it doesn't make any sense considering the Devils shoot so many dang pucks from Mm -hmm. 50 to 60 feet from the net. You know, all that old Argo Bargo from the Ken Danicos and every old head still living in 1984 going, well, you know, you got to get pucks, you know, indeed to get some traffic in front and get a greasy goal. You got to work hard in the trenches and give 110 percent. and yada, 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 yada. No, no, no. Jack Hughes got you that rebound goal. And what did the Devils proceed to do? Give up the next four. It, it they just there's a moment in what seems like every game where they just completely lose steam. They lose the plot. And they've gone back to what we've seen in years past of this spiraling mentality. At the beginning yeah. of the year, they could come back and score late goals and usually pick they up their play did. later in the game. And they almost yeah. did, but it just it it's not it's proving to just not be enough. They need no. it, it needs to be more yeah. effort over a longer time. And it's it's a very young team that may not be used to this level of grind. But at the end of the day, that's not an excuse. That's the deliberate design of the team. That's how it was made. It was made with the intention of trying to see some progress this year where, again, it's hard to see any at this point. Right. And again, the kill shot in this game was in the third period. Uh, Ty Smith gets beaten by a dime from Riley Smith, giving William Carlson free reign to beat Blackwood. Then literally the next shift, the Devils get caught in too deep on a rush play. Never seen that before with this team. Mm-hmm. But, uh, our, your boy, Mason Geertsen, decides to skate 20 feet out of his position to hit uh, Alex Pietrangelo in his zone, which creates the two-on-one that Nicholas Waugh finishes to make it 4-1, 33 seconds after Carlson's goal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you get the rare power play goal from Thomas Tatar. You get a shorthanded goal off a weird deflection from Jimmy BC. So now it's 4-3. to three. But uh, Jonathan Marchessault out-hustles out Mr. VC on a iced puck to score an empty netter. Jack Hughes gets a goal wiped off the board because Mr. Zaka was offside uh, upon review from Toronto. And then Geertsen decides to start a melee, which ends with Robin Lehner complaining on social media about how people were mean to him online. Yep. And that's another loss against the Western Conference team. Another loss at home. Another loss at home. Another loss in the L column. At one point, this team was what, like seven, three, and two, something like that. Oh yeah. This, you know, the sad thing is, is that at this point, more and more fans were complaining about Blackwood's performance. Now, keep in mind, for that Philly game, Dan, he was bad. Yeah. But Ruff did say after the game, well, you know, Blackie was, uh, you know, not feeling too well, but he wanted to start, so I let him start. Which is like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> Do yeah. you have was was Akira Schmid also or I'm sorry Akira Schmid also sick? Like what are well, you doing? Apparently, because well, they, uh, he got into the next game, right? That's 
that is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Blackwood was ruled out for this weekend's game, which is now the last weekend of uh, before the holiday, uh, due to an apparent neck injury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we haven't had enough pain yet. The devil signed the games that we're talking about. The devil signed no. John Bernier to be a um, oh yes. a reliable backup option all year, and it looks like he might be done for the season again. Yeah, with a hip injury and the second help- backup in two years. And to help and to help supplant the uh, goaltending, because rather than call up Nico Dawes and you know ruin Utica season, mm-hmm. uh, the Devils decided to trade future considerations, which means nothing, for John Gillis. Oh, he John was Gillis. dreadful in his Devils debut. I didn't think he was too bad, but again, you're you're going six goalies deep. I think the stat here is that this is the most number of goaltenders the Devils have used in a season. Mind you, Dan, we're at game thirty. Yeah, I mean, they did have a guy named Martin Rodor who'd play 74 games a year or something yeah, like that. You would think you would think in the 80s or, or even before Brodor in the early 90s. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe. Maybe if you had a rash of injuries, because it's not like those 80s Devils. Most of those teams were absolutely dreadful. But it's also but, not like the infrastructure of the AHL was particularly, you know, that as is strong true. as it is now. True. And there's and there's absolutely a glut of goaltenders where, you know, a hot run means you get a job somewhere and some guy you'd never heard of suddenly becomes like your starter for the next 10 years. Rookie goalies are getting traded left and right. Yeah, exactly. That's basically your, your rolling dice at this point. Anyways, mm-hmm. on the 18th, the Devils went to Detroit. And this is where COVID starts becoming more of a factor being around the league games. Some teams are getting their games postponed. In this game in particular, uh, Alex Nadel... Nadel... Alex Nadel... Thank One you. of the aforementioned rookie goalies that was just traded. Yeah, this over this offseason, Carolina didn't want to pay him. Mm-hmm. He he was not available for this game. So you would think, okay, the Devils are in Detroit, but they're going to play their backup uh, by default. A man named Thomas Grice. You know, Detroit's a good team at home, but, you know, if the Devils can get going and put in a good effort, maybe, just maybe, the Devils could hold their own here. Did that happen, Dan? No, the eyes are playing. Hell no, it didn't happen. It's too powerful. No, Dylan Larkin (laughs) scored his first career hat trick in this game. Tyler Bertuzzi, yes, he got chirped at by Geertsen for saying, oh, you know, go get vaccinated. Well, Bertuzzi actually scored a goal in this game, something Geertsen may never do in the NHL. Mm -hmm. And it was 4-1. Dawson Mercer scores a brilliant shorthanded goal to make make the score look respectable. And then Bertuzzi extends the lead again, 5-2. This game was pretty much the Devils were just getting the stuffing kicked out of them early and often. And, you know, uh, you know, you know, same old story, you know, okay. You didn't give up a shorthanded goal. You didn't give up a shorty. Did you score a power play goal? No. Did you get a power play shot on net? As I checked <laughs> to make sure, because I'm not sure if the answer to that is yes or no. You can and never that's be how sure. Bad I feel. You can never be sure. Um, but oh my goodness, the Devils, the Devils played this game shorthanded too, because of the illnesses, not the COVID, but the illnesses and the COVID issue with Utica. So Jesper Bratt was a late scratch. And so the Devils had to play this game with 16 hockey players in Mason Geertsen. This was arguably Geertsen's best game. And that's a sad thing to that that should tell you everything about the performance from the other 16 guys was that Geertsen was one of the better players. And it is Mason Geertsen, Dan. Mm-hmm. Oh, and to answer the question, no, the Devils didn't get a shot on it in their power play. Oh, God. it's Because why, why would you expect that, Dan? Why? Just, just pain. It's just so much pain. It's, it's just, it, we're at the point again where, well, okay, let, let's, 
the next game was against Pittsburgh. It was their best yes. effort um, of this stretch, and still it wasn't enough because no. Pittsburgh's a well-coached team, and the Devils apparently are not. No, um, they're not. <laughs> but what I do want to say is um, there were obviously fingers being pointed, and let's continue the airing of the grievances. I want to um, just kind of go from the top down as I know the order might go. So let's bring in our guest. I think he has something to say about um, you know, at least the top part of the funnel here in terms of where the devils are going wrong. Awesome. Right. So we've heard a lot of grievances from uh, from you so far. We've heard a lot of grievances from me and John. We have a live guest actually joining us here, longtime season ticket holder, Steve Mazur. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing fine. There, Dan, how are you? I'm doing well, and thank you for joining us on this special Festivus edition of the Garden State of Hockey podcast. It's a pleasure to have you, and thanks for reaching out. So uh, I just want to give you the platform that we intended to give you here. So floor is yours. Okay. Go for it. Okay, thank you so much. I've been a season ticket holder for 27 years. I read the All About the Jersey blog often. I haven't posted in a couple of years just because uh, our business is just overwhelming right now as in the CPA profession. But I, I, my take on the devils is I just don't believe that the owners, current owners want to win bad enough to, to really invest in the team other than what they've done lately with uh, the contract to, to Hughes and also the Dougie Hamilton contract. I believe that they want this. They have their history shows. They've stayed at the, the bottom of the cap floor for years and tried to invest and develop young players through the AHL. And it just hasn't worked. And uh, as I said to you, it, so many marches I've watched games, meaningless games where the devils had 10 players on the roster and, and at times on the ice from the AHL. And I just hope that that's not going to continue to happen where they sell at the trade deadline and some of the players that were good that they developed, like like Palms, are gone. The younger players need veteran, good veteran, proven players with them. Thomas Tatar may be an upper, a level above Thomas Tatar. So that's my take. The Devils organization, you know, my sons play junior hockey. We love hockey. I've been to every game except the Boston game this year. But my take is I think that the owners are in it to sell the team eventually for a profit, not in, in to minimize their operating losses year to year. And, and again, a point that's been, you know, a, definitely a great point that's been made by Devils fans, um, uh, you know, across the country, even especially the ones that are here in New Jersey, especially with the news that just came out that Harris is looking to buy part stake in the Cleveland Guardians, uh, who just did their whole renaming. So they're dipping their hand in a lot of uh, different, you know, pools here with their ownership of Crystal Palace, the 76ers. Um, and now the Cleveland Guardians, so the Devils seemingly getting left behind. But yeah, Steve, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And um, thank you for, you know, letting your voice be heard by the people who matter most. I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks so much. You do a great job. Appreciate it, you and John. Thanks. Thank you again. Have a great uh, holiday season and a very happy and safe and healthy new year. And we all will with the masks that we have to wear at the Rock. So that's my <laughs> last thing. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you. Thank you again to Steve Mazur for joining us for that segment. And again, as, as you heard him say, it starts with the ownership. It's something mm -hmm. that they have to have an invested interest in winning as the New Jersey Devils and not with Crystal Palace and not with 
the 76ers and not with the upcoming Cleveland Guardians investment that they're making. It seems or, like or a lot of the, yeah. or, sorry, what'd you say? And their partial ownership of the Steelers. Oh yeah, that too. So a lot of, a lot of uh, dipping into various uh, interests in the sports world uh, for Harrison Blitzer leaves a lot of Devils fans rightly concerned that they're not paying enough attention or making moves that are not hockey or uh, hockey improvement moves and are more social profile improvement moves. So if we go from the top of the funnel next down, let's talk about some of Tom Fitzgerald's comments that he made regarding the current situation, because I think in his estimation, it is not a coaching issue. In his estimation is a leadership issue with the veterans, quote unquote, I'm going to air quotes that in the room (laughs) because these guys are younger than I am. And I feel like I'm still pretty young. So yeah, you are pretty young to me, Dan. It's hard to envision that it would be entirely on them to fix this because, A, the team was designed to be the youngest team in the NHL, or if not the youngest at any given moment, then the second or third at worst. But that means that you knew that going into the season. This is the exact same issue that the New York Jets are having with their quarterback position. I hate to dip into football, but when you don't sign a veteran backup to help your rookie along, then he's going to make mistakes and have no one able to help him and no one able to hide him when he is exposed for being a rookie because there aren't veterans who have been there before who can take their place. Now, the Devils... Uh, young players aren't all rookies, but they are still very young relative to the league. And for a lot of them, their first season was in a season that wasn't a full one, was in a season that didn't feature as much travel. It didn't have as much of the considerations. They need to be taught how to do these things like exist in the NHL. And that hasn't happened yet. Tom Fitzgerald is pointing to players like Nico Heischer, probably Damon Severson involved there, PK Subban, the leadership core that's been established. When my contention is it may be on them to a degree. And obviously we don't see what happens in the devil's locker room, but it can't all be that. You're absolutely right. It can't really be all of that. I mean, I, it is true that the players are the ones on the ice. You know, the old saying is that, you know, the manager is not on the field to play, you know, you got to do your job when you're out there. However, the responsibility of coaching and ultimately management is to get the right players for the pl- way you want to play and put them in positions to succeed so that the players, when they do their jobs, everybody benefits. Mm -hmm. And now I will agree that there are some veteran in terms of NHL experience in the lineup. Subban has over, you know, he has hundreds of games of experience in almost a hundred games in the playoffs. Tatar has been in the league for at least 400 games. John Bernier is close to 400 games. Dougie Hamilton and Jimmy Vc and Damon Severson have all played in this league for well over 400. Severson is the longest tenured devil, isn't he? He is. And guy, even guys like Zaka and Heischer, because they started their careers at age 18, you know, they're, they're close to 200, 300 games for themselves, respectively. Now, that being said, if you're looking for experience to guide these guys way, the coaching staff, it, this is a, that should be a bigger indictment of the coaching staff, because Lindy Ruff, as a player, played for almost 800 games, Dan, mm-hmm. in addition to coaching for over 1,500. Yeah. Mark Reckie is one of the all-time leaders. Uh, he's among all-time leaders in games played with over 1,600 as yep. a player. And he's been an assistant coach for you know several years now. Elaine Nazarene did not play very much in the NHL. Neither did Chris Taylor. But those guys have been in the coaching game at the minor league and at the uh, NHL level for quite some time themselves. So that's why a couple of weeks ago, I started Fitzgerald ringing the alarm. himself played. <laughs> Fitzgerald, exactly. Like these guys... 
like as much as we talk about, you know, you got to have guys in the room. Well, the guys, the guys with the ties and the suits telling the players what to do have tons of experience. And now you got this guy with 1500 games of experience going, Oh, you know, maybe we could have won the game against the Islanders. If uh, we finished a breakaway, bro, don't you've got to Andreas Johnson. You've well, coached over 1500 games. You should know how these games go by now. Let's also say that around the organization, if they want people who know how to win and how to speak to prospects and young players and things like that, they have available to them very readily. Bryce Salvador, Ken Danico mm-hmm. in the building, Patrick Eliash, but Eliash, yes, Patrick Eliash hovering around Travis Zajac hovering around. There's a lot of players there that have done the, well, there's, there's no, I mean, Ken Danico knows how to be an NHL or that's the point, right? It's not, it's more, he knows how to, you know, do the 82 game grind. I think that's something that's definitely missing from them. However, again, all those resources are available and presumably are being used. And still at some point you have to look and say, well, if it's not all this help that they're getting from a psychological, emotional perspective, it must be something to do with the systems. Yeah, that's right. And again, if Lindy Ruff is going... Martin speak- Brodeur, I forgot about him being in the building. Yeah, he's... Well, anyways. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, Marty, the guy with the statue, you know, never heard of him. The anyway. guy with the statue who should be, you know, he's not the goalie coach, but certainly he can help them with the yips that they've been experiencing. Right. Yeah, they, they can, they can go have a, you know, a sit down and say, Hey, let's have a chat for 15 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but more seriously though, it is absolutely the systems. When Lindy Ruff is go is talking after, I believe it was after the game against Pittsburgh where Jack Hughes commits a backbreaking turnover for a shorthanded goal. And then Yanni Kwakin commits a backbreaking turnover for what would be the eventual game winning goal. You know, he's talking about, oh, well, you know, I've been telling these guys about puck management, but they're, you know, it's not getting through to them. Well, hey, Ruff, if if they're not, if you're not getting through to them, maybe what you're telling them isn't working. It sounds like you're losing the locker room. And this is true in any sport at any level. If you as a coach are losing the locker room, you might as well hang up. You might as well pull a Paul Maurice and resign. You might as well just hang it up and go, this isn't going to work. This is not going to end well. Um, It's going to go poorly. See you later. Because mm-hmm. you lost the room. Like, you know, if the players aren't going to listen to you, it doesn't matter if you're spitting, uh, you know, platinum facts and quoting, you know, you know, the great, uh, you know, poets of our time of Bob Dylan and Nas, respectively. It doesn't matter if you're hitting, throwing the ether on uh, Mike Sullivan, so to speak, because they ain't listening to you. It doesn't matter. Sometimes so, there's only so far a message can go, even if it's exactly not, even if it's not a nasty, you know, breakup between coach and team. Look at Paul Maurice, for example. He yeah. knew that he was not the guy who was going to get this Winnipeg Jets team that he loves very much, according to yep. his uh, presser. Um, over the hump, he just, you know, he had a message, the players bought into what he had, but the message that he was sending, he knew was not enough to get them to that next step. And so he stepped down. Exactly. In those exact words, he said, they need a new voice. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. That's totally okay. It happens all the time. Yeah. I wish, I wish there were more transactions like that in sports. Cause most of the time it is a nasty breakup, you know, Mm -hmm. look at the NFL where, you know, coaches have to sue their teams because, you know, they have this endless argument over, you know, breach of contract and whatnot, you know, but this, but the bizarre thing here is like this devil's run here last year, it was a predicated on, all right, you play, you got the short schedule, you got no practices. It's a young team. You know, everyone's talking a good game. Mr. Fitzgerald himself says, we're not going to be a doormat. Well, guess what guys, you're a doormat now. Virtually yeah. every team that we talked about, all, you know, flyers, Las Vegas, Detroit, we only touched on Pittsburgh a little bit, but everybody 
who plays the Devils, even those rare wins that we see, they know how to play against this team. Mm -hmm. They know it's going to be a high to low attack from five on five. They know that the defensemen are going to fire away a lot. They know that the power play is going to be based on three guys in a five on four, moving the puck around the perimeter. They know that the penalty kill is going to be a wedge plus one. They know that they're prone to breakdowns on defense and they definitely overcommit on rush plays. They know that rough likes to be aggressive. So the defensemen activate. So you'll have opportunities for, uh, two-on-ones and breakaways that way. They know this, Dan. It doesn't matter if it's Philly, Nashville, the Islanders, Detroit, Vegas, Ottawa, Winnipeg, Minnesota. Oh, by the way, everybody, those are all the teams the Devils lost to this month. Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> and, and it's probably going to be the same when they play St. Louis on the 27th, Buffalo on the 29th, and Edmonton on the 31st. Yeah. It's, they know how to do it, Dan. Well, if They those know games how to happen. play the Devils. They know how to play the Devils. Yeah. And that's the most bizarre thing about this, you know, Fitzgerald, you know, trying to stick by his guy. And I think that's what, you know, this is really all about. Tom Fitzgerald has been willing to spend big money on players. Great. Tom Fitzgerald has been willing to bring in specialized coaches, pro scouts and all that other good stuff. Great. But when it comes to, okay, Fitzgerald, the coaching staff that you hired as GM or you had a role in hiring and you became GM, they're getting their butts whipped. Most, most other organizations would have fired these guys or made some type of change. Mm-hmm. Why and, aren't you doing that? And I think it's because he doesn't want to admit he made a mistake. And this I brings really me to a, um, to a grievance from the site, actually, in the comment section from JT Clockwork. I think this yeah. one uh, fits what we're going for here. But uh, JT says, I don't even know what to say at this point. The team needs an overhaul, not a rebuild 3.0, hopefully not, but something this offseason, a new coaching staff, but big roster shifts as well. So as we go from coaches to players, he says, the list of players I look to move dwarfs the list of players I definitely keep. Fitz needs a vision of the type of game they want to play, identify the guys who play that game, and then try to fill the roster with those guys around the core. Many of us laughed at the moves the Rangers made this offseason, myself included. But even if they gave away talent in Buchnevich for Blaze, who isn't even playing because he's hurt, and made some questionable moves in their bottom six, I'll grant them this. They wanted a team identity, and they went for it, and they are winning. Yes, their goalie is mostly why, and I'll add their coach in there as well. And Panarin and Fox and all that. I get that. But what's our team identity? Does anyone even know how to define it? Is it not showing up to start a game and then scrambling in the third to try and make the game look more competitive than it was? Hmm. Is it making terrible turnovers in our D zone for easy goals for the other team? Mm-hmm. Is it shoddy goaltending, shoddy special teams? What is it? We have none. The Devils are just a bunch of guys. No heart, no identity, nothing but suck. I don't know if I agree entirely with that sentiment at the end, but I think he right. has definitely a salient point there. Oh, he's got a couple couple of them there, and I appreciate the comment from Mr. Uh, or Mrs. Clockwork. I have no idea, but I will I will be that blogger to point out that the first periods for the Devils haven't been too bad. Like, like yeah, they've been outscored and out xg'd, but the gap is not that bad. The problem is is that when it goes bad for the Devils, it often gets worse. Mm-hmm. Like for some teams, because earlier in the season, yeah, the Devils would make these third period comebacks and salvage some points. Um, but we haven't seen that in almost a month now, Dan. And I think it's, it's not, I think it's because the devils go down. And even when they get close to coming back, they do something stupid of their own fault. They yep. get burned. And now you're back down two goals again. You're back down three goals and the game's effectively lost. Mm-hmm. So your third period spirited attempts at a comeback are effectively, well, they're pointless and it has yielded no points in the standings um, in recent weeks. So he, you know, Mr. Mr. Slash Mrs. Uh, Clockwork here is absolutely, you know, right on a lot of the other points about the turnovers, the goaltending, the shoddy special teams. And again, 
if you're seeing the same bad stuff over and over again, and you as a head coach are saying in press conferences that, uh, hey, I'm trying to tell them the message, and Fitzgerald's not saying the player's got to execute. Again, I don't think it's the execution here. It's really your system that sucks here, dude. And well, teams, so let's, uh, opposing teams know it. Let's let's talk about that. There's another grievance that's related to this one from the site from A. Uh, Giglio. I think that's how you say it. I apologize in advance if I get your name wrong. Um, I'm trying my best, I promise. Uh, and he addressed you specifically, John. He says, John, all I want for Christmas is a discernible de- uh, defensive system and the coaches emphasizing coverage in the defensive zone. I love that. that. Means, <laughs> if that means playing low event hockey for 20 games to gain some confidence, I'm okay with that. The you idea know. that you can play up-tempo offensive in many ways hockey <laughs> – there's a good joke there for 60 minutes is absurd. The Gretzky Oilers could do that because they had the most talented team in that era and a vastly underrated goaltender in Grant Fuhr. These devils are not those Oilers. They have some talent, but most of it is unrealized despite, and now I'm showing my age, the popular analytics notion that you can outpossess your opponent all the time and not play defense and win consistently is simply not true. You watch the cup playoffs, the teams that play tight defense and press the offense and the opportunity arises are the teams that do the best. My rant is over and thanks for listening. Well, my quibble there is that if you outpossess your opponent, that is the defense. Yep. You know, you see it a lot in soccer, you know, teams like Bar- you know, the 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 ticky talk of Barcelona team where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, they they only get to score one goal, but guess what? You're not gonna see the ball all game. Yeah, because they're possessing it the entire time. And I would go as far as to say that those 95 devils and those 2000 devils and those 2003 devils, had we have Corsi and expected gold models and all this other oh, they would have dominated. stuff that we have today. Oh, Eliash will be in the Hall of Fame as an analytics <laughs> darling. Like, I'm serious about that. Like, because we didn't get these stats going until 2007. And that was sort of on the second half of Eliash's career. But yeah, the Devils would have dominated. And as far as the low event hockey goes, it's not an accident that the Devils actually played their best game of these four that we talked about in a super low event game against Pittsburgh, where yeah. the Devils sought to miss the net way more often than not. But they kept Pittsburgh, you know, it was the devil's failings that caused Pittsburgh to score the goals, not a case of Pittsburgh just going, yeah, we're the penguins. We're just going to roll through you because we're awesome and we're great. And we're like legitimately good. And yeah. you guys stink, you know, well, so low event hockey is a that. lot you know, easier to win when yeah. your goalies are bad. <laughs> well, yeah. And more importantly, <laughs> and this is where I'm agreeing with the comment is that I would love a discernible defensive system and mm-hmm. coaches emphasizing coverage because right now the devils don't have that. We have yep. guys who are getting lost. There were some, I can't remember the exact quote, but something about an unorthodox system. Well, there's a reason why the NHL and a lot of sports leagues are copycat leagues, Dan, because they copy what works. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the unorthodox is unorthodox for a reason. It's not because you, you have to come up with something original and you got to come up with something great. No, you, you just do what works, man. Yeah. You know, it ain't rocket science. You know, when Barcelona, as I mentioned, won with their thicky talk plays, lots of other teams started to do that. When the Red Bulls uh, Salzburg and Red Bull uh, Leipzig and Red Bull New York started winning with Gagan pressing, you saw a lot more Gagan pressing in soccer. Same with hockey. You know, what the neutral zone trap was successful with the Devils. Guess what you saw for the next 15 years? The neutral zone trap. Yep. It ain't rocket science, guys. But here we got some guys who think they are behind the devil's bench. And uh, guess what, Dan? They ain't rocket scientists. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go to a uh, grievance submitted by one of uh, the writers from our site here, Jared Moore. Um, he has some things to say, obviously, as do the rest of us. So let's listen to what Jared thinks, um, you know, is bugging him the most about this devil's team. Hi, Jared Moore here, contributor for All About the Jersey and good opinion haver. 
And my grievance this holiday season is with the fans who like to get on the Nico Heishers and Jack Hughes of the world for, quote unquote, not doing enough. And I don't know if you've noticed watching the games, but this roster, it ain't great. And the Devils haven't exactly done the best job of surrounding them with legitimate help on the wings. So if we're going to get on anyone this holiday season, we should get on the goaltenders or the players not pulling their weight or the defensemen or the defensive structure or the coaching staff in general or the power play or the penalty kill or Tom Fitzgerald for assembling this roster or for ownership for being more interested in diversifying their portfolio than building a winning hockey team. Look, I'm not saying Jack and Nico have been perfect and without blame, but can we actually identify the root of the problem here? Good rule of thumb in general is that things can always get worse, and if you think the Devils are bad now, they'd be Arizona bad if they didn't have Jack and Nico in the lineup. Anyways, thank you for hearing my grievance, and I'd like to wish everyone a happy and safe holiday season. All right, thanks, Jared. Much appreciated, and of course, uh, it's something that... I wish the list of grievances didn't have to be this long, but I, I hope this doesn't become an annual tradition, but it does feel good to, therapeutically to get all this stuff out there. Um, and then one I did want to read kind of in bullet bullet point form from the site comment section as well from B Cogs. We have the forwards being too soft to win puck battles, the defense leaving the back door open constantly, lack of finish. Uh, B Cogs has seen beer league teams with a more cohesive breakout. Ty Smith needs to be sent down. He's lost out there right now. And all of the above and more has led to another lost season before Christmas. There you go. Yeah. The, the conclusion is a thousand percent correct. And uh, we got no one to blame, but management for that. Yep. And, and so let's, uh, as nice as this has been to get everything out in the open, uh, we do have some other news that we do need to discuss regarding the NHL. So uh, we're going to wrap up the airing of the grievances, but man, that felt good. It felt good to get all that out there. It felt good to hear from, uh, from all of you, or at least those of you who contributed and uh, you know, whether or not it was in the comment section, um, Steve joining us uh, on the call itself or sending in any sort of recordings. Uh, we appreciate the, you know, we appreciate the involvement. We appreciate the um, interaction with, uh, with the blog. It, it keeps us going. It, it makes us want to do this more. So thank you again for that. Um, just a little, holiday message before we wrap up here. So we have a couple things left to talk about. Let's start with the World Junior Championships. Right. So the World Junior Championships, the annual Christmas time tradition is beginning on Boxing Day, December 26th. Uh, due to the growing pandemic 2.0, I guess we have to call it now. Um, Alberta has capped attendance at 50%, but there will be attendance and there will be relegation. So last place in the tournament will go down and get replaced by Belarus next year. Um, America is going to be looking to defend its gold medal. Canada is obviously the host team. So there's going to be lots of uh, expectation from them to win it all. And there are four devils going to the WJCs, Luke Hughes for America, Shakira Muhammadulin for Russia, um, Alexander Holtz for Sweden and Jacob Malik for the, for Czechia. And yes, mm -hmm. they want to be called Czechia now, not the Czech Republic. So mm -hmm. 
keep it, keep that noted. Three of those guys, the third first three, I should say, uh, will play significant roles on their team with Mukamo Dolan and Holtz getting wearing A's for their respective teams. And they are among the older players on their respective rosters. Mm. Malik might get some time here. I'm not too familiar with uh, Czechia's goaltending rotation. And Hughes, just like he's behind Owen Power at Michigan, will likely be behind Jake Sanderson in a met with the American national team, but it's all good. Um, at least three devils should have prominent roles in this year's tournament. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. It's just, uh, I hope the games are able to actually be played. Um, yeah. We'll see how that goes because these, uh, these numbers have been truly staggering recently. Yes. Um, and it's because of those numbers, Dan. Yes. Uh, we, we got up to 50 postponed games. The holiday break was uh, extended to be starting from uh Effectively Tuesday night, I should say they did play one game on Tuesday, but they started it officially on Wednesday because of the pandemic. They even uh, almost as as a temporary measure uh, banned cross border travel, meaning Mm -hmm. that before their recent uh, holiday break extension, that the Devils Montreal game that was scheduled for the 23rd, that that wasn't going to happen anyway. But the NHL, uh, because of their postponement stand, have announced officially that they are not going to be sending players to Beijing for the 2022 winter Olympics. They're going to use the time between February 6th and February 22nd to reschedule and make up these dates. The devils only have the one home game right now to make up. We shall see if there's going to be further postponements as we enter uh, January, 2022. But um, you know, I understand, I understand a lot of players are looking forward to it, but the reality is, you know, the pandemic, uh, you know, the NHL has to do what's best for the NHL here. The NHL gets nothing out of going to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. If a player gets hurt, the NHL suffers. If a player tests positive, the player gets to stay in China for three to five weeks and knock on wood, be on good behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, not get paid and not help their team in what could be critical critical, critical games in the regular season. (laughs) Uh, You know, not that they would involve the devils, but you know, other teams. Yeah. And um, you know, again, you know, even if the Olympics, somebody does well at the Olympics, the NHL can't make any money off that. They can't advertise it. They can't promote it. They can't do anything about it. It's all IOC benefit with the NHL paying the cost. So the NHL is certainly not going to be crying too many tears about not going. The players are, but I think they understand that given the, you know, the postponement of the NHL games and the very strict quarantine period or potential quarantine period in China, uh, I think has made a lot of players go, it sucks, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's not a surprise, right? We, we saw the, the game start getting canceled and naturally the only solution was, well, there's these two weeks in February that we kind of need now. So yeah, this was an inevitability more than anything, which is sad to say, but um, it is what it is. There's nothing you can really do about it. And hopefully the players are able to stay, you know, safe and healthy by not going in order to finish the season uh, in its entirety. Right. And, to, and because of the changes, obviously there are some local changes. Um, a number of cities and uh, states have uh, reenacted older policies. Well, the city of Newark has issued an edict that all public gatherings shall have masks required. So public indoor. It, public indoor. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Public indoor events must must be masked up, which means everything at the Prudential Center from concerts to Seton Hall basketball games and Devils games, you must bring and wear a mask inside. Now, I will point out that if 
you know, having gone to games, you've gone to games, Dan, you know, if you had your vaccination card, you can go in without a mask. Mm. Um, I'm going to be real with you. I don't think security is going to enforce this policy particularly well, considering that there is an out clause to say, if you've got, if you're eating or drinking, you can not wear your mask. And since most people have food and drinks at hockey games, Mm. I, I think people will be without the mask. It'll be a classic case of there's too many people without masks. There's not enough security to enforce it. Um, but I will say that if you are going to the rock um, for the 31st of de- December or any games in January and beyond, bring a mask, wear it. If it's going to bother you, just stay home mm-hmm. or just shut up and put on the damn mask. It's not that big of an ask. And more importantly, it's not even the devil's policy at this point. It's Newark's edict. Helps keep you safe, helps keep you uh, as healthy as it can. Obviously, we know that things are going to happen anyway, but that all being said, we're going to try to do the best to make it through, um, you know, whatever comes next, both from a devil's perspective and a global perspective. So uh, that, that all being said, this brings us to the end of the Festivus episode. This was jam-packed with stuff. This was one of our longest ones uh, in the recent stretch. So we appreciate you listening. We appreciate all your contributions to not just this episode, but also the site as a whole. And uh, we hope that, you know, I'm going to speak for John here. I hope you don't mind, John. But uh, Go for it. We hope that you have a safe, healthy, happy, and uh, restful holiday season. Um, however you're celebrating, wherever you're celebrating, um, Spend some time with your families, really enjoy uh, all that the holidays have to offer, both, you know, physically, spiritually, all it is. So thank you again for um, making this year 2021, maybe not the best one from a global perspective, but certainly another great one for all about the Jersey. Thank you and have yourselves a good holiday season. Go Devils. Devils.